From Dirty Spoon Media in Asheville, this is a Dirty Spoon Podcast Extra. The following story actually aired in our June episode earlier in the week. So if you've heard that episode, you've already heard this story. But because of how prescient the subject matter is, we thought we'd release it on its own to make it easier to share with friends and family. We're in the middle of a massive labor shortage in the restaurant industry, but also in a lot of other low-wage industries. And there's a lot of misinformation and oversimplified narratives as to what is causing it. So our editor-in-chief, Jonathan Ammons, took a deep dive into the roots of the labor shortage, something he has been documenting since 2017. Here he is. By now you're quite familiar with them. Those signs on the restaurant doors going viral on the internet. Closed today, short-staffed, no one wants to work anymore. At this point, as the whole world is starting to reopen in the waning days of the pandemic, the restaurant industry is wrestling with what many are calling the most serious labor crisis in recent history. But what if it isn't a labor crisis at all? Back in 2017, I wrote a piece for the Mountain Express called Falling Short, What's Causing Asheville's Labor Shortage. At the time, the unemployment rate was just 3.8%, and restaurants across Asheville were having a really hard time finding staff for the back of house. And while it seemed easy to chalk it up to being a simple labor shortage that no one wanted to work anymore, it, like most things in this world, wasn't that simple. Oddly enough, that 2017 article was the fulfillment of a kind of prophecy I had made in an article the previous year. That one was about the industry's growing threat of oversaturation, that there were so many restaurants popping up in a small city like Asheville that the threat wasn't a lack of customers to go around. It was, because of the rising housing cost, going to be a lack of staff. So fast forward four years, and the labor shortage never went away. And that's when the pandemic struck. Let's just start by making a couple things crystal clear. The labor shortage that the restaurant industry is experiencing across the country right now is not caused by unemployment bonuses. According to a study by the San Francisco Reserve Bank, only 1 in 28 people have turned down a job that they would normally accept to stay on unemployment. That's around 3.5% of 322,000 people nationwide. In other words, nearly exactly the same amount of people on unemployment in 2017 when I wrote that article about the restaurant labor shortage. To put that in a local context in a city like Asheville, if that 3.5% holds, it would mean that a meager 250 people aren't going back to work. That's it. Secondly, this labor shortage is not caused by people not going back to work. It's caused by people not going back to the same industry they used to work in. But don't take my word for it. So when Steve told me that we were shutting down the restaurant, I was already, all of us there were deeply, deeply burnt out. That's Adam Rawlings. He was a 15-year veteran of restaurant kitchens when the pandemic struck and shut down Ox Bar, a favorite Asheville spot that permanently shuttered. So what did Adam do with all that spare time during lockdown? He started his own woodworking company, Crow Dog Creations. And I had kind of been toying with the idea of, of this woodworking idea. And so my, my, my plan was to just keep working in kitchens and and slowly phase myself out from middle management, you know, slowly fa- slowly phasing into the woodworking, you know, doing the woodworking as like starting it as like a side gig and slowly moving for like growing it until it can actually support me. And uh, and then when Oxbar closed, I just decided like, well, this is my shot. Let's let's see if this, see if I can make this work. 
because I did I just did, I didn't have the heart to go back into the restaurants. It wasn't for it wasn't really for for fear of for fear of COVID or anything like that. It was it was for you know it was for it was a quality of life decision. And Adam isn't the only one I talked to who has left the kitchen for greener pastures. After posting on several food and beverage groups on social media to see if anyone had changed careers during the pandemic, I was absolutely inundated with responses, like Joanna Kearns in D.C. Sorry, I'm just finishing up some ice cream. She had 30-plus years in the restaurant game. She jumped ship, too. Well, I am doing two things. One of the things that I'm using this opportunity for, and I've it's been almost six months, I think, since I've worked... And the entire time I was working, I was dabbling, dipping my toes into other interests. The biggest one of which is um, green roofs and living walls and landscape design. And so I'm starting my own business, doing those things, and then also being the main point person for a friend who has a home staging business when people put their homes on the market bring in all the furniture and decorations and you know set it up for photos and for people when they come to do a walkthrough of the house Clyde Singleton who had already left a career as a pro skater to become a chef changed careers yet again taking the pandemic lockdown as an opportunity to move from Winston-Salem back home to Jacksonville, Florida. Clyde opened a clothing line called Ali Lama, started a skateboarding podcast, WCRP, and is running pop-ups with his own food cart, Cooking with Clyde. I just knew I deserved something better than that. You know, like, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, you know, I got a little talent. I know I like to work and, um, you know, I shouldn't be stressing out on a place to stay when I'm working two jobs and this, I, there's just more out there for me, you know, like, and, you know, like, I feel like that got, that got me out, that got me where I needed to be, you know, and, it, you know, and I think that was, it was a very important lesson for me too, because had I not left, you know, a lot of things that's happening now wouldn't be happening. You know, I'd probably just be very complacent and, on what I was doing, which wasn't bad, but, you know, I just had bigger goals. It's like skateboarding, man. You know, I was in Florida and I was like, I got to get out of here, dude. You know, I got dreams like everyone else. I do, man. You know, I'm, I don't want to be that old dude cooking on the line, like, oh, man. Like, you know, like, <laughs> nah, dude. No, no, no. Yeah, I work with too many of them dudes, you know, like old dudes in there mad as hell, like slamming around hamburger patties. Like, nah, man, that will not be me. I like what I do. I'm not trying to get a truck or that's just a headache, you know, like the way I can do business and the people that I do business with, it works perfect. You know, I go in, I knock it out and I'm, I'm out of there. You know, I don't, I don't need a big truck. I don't need, I don't need all that stuff. It seems to me that if we live in a society that has constantly told people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or that if they don't like the wage they're earning, then they need to find a better job or make one for themselves, that we shouldn't get angry when they actually do just that. So people have left Asheville because the cost of housing was so expensive. People have left the um, restaurant industry because they didn't have job security during a pandemic, so they needed to find other job options. Um, people have chosen to go back to school, um, explore other industries, find other towns to live in where the rent wasn't so high. Um, and. 
uh, one of our business owners that is living wage certified pointed out to us that there's just a lot of restaurants and hotels looking for workers all at the same time. Um, and so that, you know, in his opinion, this is not a new issue. That's Emma Hutchins. She's the Living Wage Program Coordinator for the Center for Just Economics. We are not calling this a labor shortage. We are calling this a wage crisis. Um, I do think that there's a good chance that both um, both issues are happening simultaneously. But there is this elephant in the room, which is that previously workers were being told that they were disposable, that if they didn't want their job, someone else wanted it. and. Um, and then there was a pandemic where workers were told that they were essential and they um, were heroes for risking their lives to keep basic services open. And now um, workers are being told they're lazy for not wanting to go back to work. Um, so I do think this narrative around workers has been really wild for the past few years and people now see that I, I think workers in this moment have a lot of power they have a lot of choices and they are taking their time and choosing carefully where they want to work because um, because they can wait for a job with better wages they can opt for a job where they're treated with dignity and respect um, and I think workers are taking advantage of having options and choices available to them. Overall, this shortage doesn't have a single cause. James Sutherland is the owner of Blue Dream Curry. He says they've had staffing issues for years, despite offering $17 an hour and a week's paid vacation. James eschews the tendency to oversimplify these kinds of problems, noting that it isn't simply a wage issue. It just seems like everybody reopened at the same time, and there's a bunch of new places. So those two things in combination are what the problem is. And then, you know, there's also just a lot of people that have started moving on from this industry in general for good reason. And I mean, you know, it's happened with a lot of industries over the years. And I think the problem here is they keep building hotels, they keep pushing the tourist business. And obviously that's a big money maker for a lot of people. And it's great that they're doing that, but you can't do that without having an infrastructure behind it. Yeah, it's just a matter of you keep building hotels and you don't build any affordable housing and you try to, you know, push this tourist business, but you don't have any sort of late night buses or anything for people working in bars. You know, and now it's like Uber and Lyft is kind of hard to come by because everybody's doing food delivery and they don't really want to do the taxi services anymore. And so, you know, it it's definitely a time for this city to take a little bit of a stand. It's just you know, money always talks and, and it just seems like, you know, even with the, the federal government, it's like there has to be some kind of money making incentive for anything to happen. James is right. Money talks. And there's been substantial pushback among restaurant owners to raising the minimum wage. But as more and more workers flee the industry, even the $17 James is offering might not be enough. Seventeen thirty an hour living wage sounds really high. And it's actually very conservative. So the way we calculate the living wage is using a four-year average of fair market rent data from HUD. And so that means that the number we plugged into our formula isn't the 2021 fair market rent. It's an average of the last four years. If we had plugged in the 2021 numbers into our formula, the living wage rate would be closer to $21 an hour. This is for a one-bedroom apartment for a single individual with no dependents. So immediately, if you have a child, 
1730 is not a living wage for you. So this is this is a conservative number. So the living wage certification program is meant to be an educational tool to help people understand where the wage floor needs to be because the minimum wage for the United States hasn't increased. Um, it will be 12 years in July, the last time the minimum wage increased for the United States. And so we are seeing states go ahead and implement uh, minimum wage bills um, that are increasing the minimum wage in cities and in states and other parts of the country. There is a bill in North Carolina advocating for that um, change here in the state, although I don't expect to see it pass. So because we've had the 725 minimum wage for so long, which isn't enough for anyone working only 40 hours a week living anywhere in the country to pay their rent, we have to have a better understanding of a reasonable wage floor. And I think people are getting more comfortable using this $15 an hour number. By the time it takes effect, that actually isn't going to be an, an equitable wage floor already. So for Buncombe County, I mean, 1730 is still, that's not a thriving wage. That is the least that you can make in Buncombe County and afford your basic needs, your basic cost of living without living in poverty. It's, it's not enough to save. It's not enough to go on vacation. It's just enough to not be in poverty if you are a single individual with no children. Beyond wages, Emma notes that a key reason for the restaurant exodus is the housing. Remember back at the beginning of this story when we talked to Adam and Clyde? Both of them have moved out of Asheville at some point because of housing. Adam to the outskirts and Clyde to Winston-Salem and eventually Florida. Between 2010 and 2020, the rent in Asheville has seen a 58% rise and currently sits atop the list of the most expensive housing costs in North Carolina. Add to that the fact that Asheville's wages are 15% lower than the national average, and you start to understand the sudden exodus of the city's restaurant workers. So if workers can't afford to live in Asheville, what does that mean for the future of the restaurant industry that draws people to Asheville in the first place? You can't just look at wages without looking at housing. And it is our hope that the Asheville business owners will get involved with this fight for affordable housing because I think that we all have a great stake um, in you know, the ability to continue living here, working here, um, owning businesses here is gonna really be contingent on this affordable housing question. Um, someone recently brought it to my attention that Charleston has had a labor shortage for a really long time. And the norm has become businesses are just closed two or three days a week. Um, workers decide where they wanna work. If they don't like it, they can move on to the next place. And it just never occurred to me that these issues can be permanent. I've always heard this myth of a housing bubble. And I don't think that we're, I don't think that the bubble is going to pop. This is a this is basically a resort town now, um, and so I think that we need to, as a community of people who live here, start treating these issues as if they're not temporary. They're not just because of the pandemic. These are permanent issues until we advocate for real solutions to them. Um, and so I I think that your question of whether or not businesses are going to be able to do it is a great question. Obviously, our local businesses are part of what makes this town so special. It's part of the reason people want to come here. So we're going to have to advocate for, for change in order for them to be able to sustain and survive. Back when the pandemic began, economists and talking heads were calling it the Great Reset, saying that all of the economic shutdowns and lockdowns around the world were poised to reboot our industries and economies. It would be foolish not to expect the game to change after someone resets the board. 
For generations, the restaurant industry has been a place where competent, skilled workers were raked over the coals night after night. It should come as no surprise that given the long break of the pandemic, many are choosing not to do that anymore and have found other things to do instead. I've spent the last decade writing about wage issues, about sexual harassment in the restaurant industry, about substance abuse in the restaurant industry, about how hard it is on people and how if we don't do something about those things, the entire industry could be at risk. Well, perhaps this is our reckoning. And you cannot say as a society that we don't deserve it for letting it be this wrong for so long. The Dirty Spoon is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Katherine Campbell, and I'm the editor-at-large. I handle our website and marketing and source our stories. Jonathan Ammons is our editor-in-chief, records and produces the show, and wrote the original music for this episode. The Dirty Spoon is made possible by our listeners, people just like you. If you like what you're hearing, please visit us at dirty-spoon.com to donate and subscribe through our Patreon. To hear full episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or catch us on the air at 103.7 WPVMLP at our new time, the first Saturday of every month at 11 a.m. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume right here on the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour.